Today on CityCast Denver. The stock show is back this weekend, but the COVID surge is out of control. And you don't have to have a vaccine to get into the stock show, apparently. So basically, things are going to get dicey. The whole CityCast Denver team is back in the new year, and we're chatting that news. Plus, this little movie about climate change made by some Denverites. Maybe you heard of it? Today is Friday, January 7th, 2022. I'm Alexandra McMahon, and this is CityCast Denver. Welcome back to CityCast Denver. It's the first Friday show of 2022. It's so good to be back with everybody. Uh, the whole crew is here. Producer Paul Caroli, uh, one fun thing you did in Denver over your break. Why is that a hard question, Alexandra? <laughs> Maybe because you were out of town. <laughs> that might not be fair to you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know. One fun thing I did in Denver. Uh, the gym. There was no one at the gym. I've been going to the gym. Megan and I do. Uh, we go to uh, the local gym and we use their pool and hot tub and sauna Ooh. and they have these like massage chairs it's one of these new gyms where they offer a lot of amenities that people don't actually use but we <laughs> used so them jealous. over the break it was amazing such a good way to spend a morning just like hours of sitting in a kind of dank gym jacuzzi Ooh. reading the news and i bet it was not very crowded no empty totally empty <sighs> that's that's like great. my dream paul I'm like such a gym rat and I haven't been able to go and going when nobody else is there is just like the best. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's best. incredible. Host Bree Davies, what about you? What's one <sighs> fun Denver thing you did? I can't say I did any fun Denver things because I didn't really leave my house, but I got my first Christmas with my baby, with Montgomery. Aww. And he's <laughs> he's seven months old, so he doesn't really know anything that's going on. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But he got a lot of presents, and we really enjoyed watching him open them. Um, but he, what's really <laughs> funny is because who his father is, his dad is a musician, he, Montgomery, got two drums, a xylophone, a synthesizer. <laughs> a synthesizer? A, yes. And an accordion. <laughs> oh, my God. None of which he can use, except for he has this drum oh. that lights up, and he puts it on his face, and he just <laughs> stares into it. <laughs> I, no, I no love pressure, that someone Montgomery. you know yeah. gave your baby an accordion. Like they had this image in their mind of a baby playing an accordion. Also, my mother-in-law did that, who I love. But I'm like, have you ever heard an accordion? They're kind of atrocious. So give one to a baby and see how that yeah. goes. He needs a lot of options. He's going to be know. a musical prodigy no matter what. I know. The poor guy has not many choices. And I if feel he's, like he's not going to, if he doesn't end up being a musical prodigy, well... I know. We set him up for failure. (laughs) I know. I don't want to put anything on him. Like maybe he likes to play basketball or maybe he gets really into politics. I don't know. But like he's on his way so far to being a musician. That's That's very good. That's a good one. All right. Newsletter writer Peyton Garcia. What about you? I don't think I went to Denver at all. I mean, this question was a a failure. No, (laughs) I, uh, yeah, I don't live in, in city limits, so I think we stayed up here, up north, and I don't think we, we went at all, so. 
That sounds nice. What about you, Alexandra? Did you do anything fun in Denver? Yeah, yeah, I did. You know, I went to the library, uh, the downtown one that's still under construction. I got a book, and then I went home, and I read the whole thing. And that was that was great. That was a good way to spend my break. But yeah, no, I wish the library was like still not under construction, though, because you can't go past the first floor. And like you still have to go up to the librarian and be like, can you go look for this book for me? And then they go upstairs and then they bring it down and for you. But it's still like fun to like be in that big, beautiful building. And I was going to ask you how you felt about that building just because growing up here, you know, I'm a little older than you. but And I remember when they built it and it was such a big deal. Oh. And it's such a fun it's such a fun building. Architect Michael Graves. Yeah, ah. it, I mean Incredible it's very work. it's very late 90s for sure feeling, yeah. but it just has this like magicalness about the way that the interior is designed. Yeah. And I wondered if that's just as interesting to other people or if I loved it because I was like 10 or whatever when they built it. No, yeah, it, it has that effect still, definitely, even only being on like the first floor and I also just feel like the people in there, every time I go in there, they're just so nice and so welcoming and so like eager <sighs> to help you and like get you excited I about reading. I just love libraries. Yeah, they're just great. And shout out to our librarians. They're like yeah. doing humanitarian work every day in this city. They're amazing. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we should jump into our conversation. We got a couple topics today. Um, the first one up is the stock show because the stock show starts on January 8th, which is Saturday, runs through the 23rd. It's the 116th year, which I'm wondering since they took a break last year, was last year supposed to be the 116th year? And then they just like, There's, this is the 116th year. I don't know the exact answer to this, but I know that they have taken a year off before. I read this this morning oh. in 1915 oh. for some kind of like foot and mouth disease, I think. <laughs> so whatever whatever their numbering is, it's probably not like perfectly reflective of exactly how long this thing has been around, but a long time. Yeah, very long time. Wow, I love that little detail, Paul. Foot and mouth disease. That's what they had to worry about back then. Well, now we have COVID. But uh, the the stock show organizers don't seem too concerned about COVID this year because we are going forward. Uh, they canceled the parade this week, but not because of COVID, just because it was really cold and they were worried about the animals. Um, and you don't need a vaccine. You don't, you don't need to show proof of vaccine to get into the stock show, which uh, is different from other events in Denver. They got like a variance from the city to, to make this exception. And... Um, the funniest thing I read this week while preparing for this was that they were going to lightly monitor masks. <laughs> masks are required indoors, but they're going to lightly monitor that. I don't know what that is. It's BS. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Bree. baloney. Go off. It's baloney. <laughs> this is a public health crisis waiting to happen to me. Thinking, I mean, it when I think about like, oh, here, have a bunch of people. I know a lot of it is indoor, outdoor that's sort of the thing with the Coliseum and the uh, the stock show complex is like a lot of it is happening in like, quote unquote, well ventilated areas. But um, I'll just say I got COVID at my house. Um, someone from my family came over to help me care for my child after I had surgery and she unknowingly was carrying COVID. And so you can't ever be too careful. Um, I'm just... I'm just blown away that we would cancel the parade because the animals can't be cold, which is fine. Sure, of course. Res uh, respect. I mean, this event is about animals. But we're still going to crowd a bunch of people into an area for 
day weeks? I mean, doesn't the it's stock 16 show go on? days? It's the best sixteen days in, 16 of the year. Actually, thank, thank you, Paul. Yes. <laughs> what is that? The phrase? That's the slogan. Yeah, the best sixteen days in January. Oh, it's not the whole year. It's just in January. I just it just seems like a bad idea. I don't know. Maybe I'm touchy because I got COVID. I don't know. Mm. Peyton, I think you gotta go. What? What? If, how do you feel about that? I mean, yeah, I I don't think that that's the responsible decision. I think we can all agree there that we should be trying to make the most responsible decisions. And but my bigger question is like, Bree, what is your relationship to the stock show? Do you have much of one with? No, not necessarily. I mean, like, I definitely went as a kid. And unfortunately, all I remember is that it was really smelly and really cold most of the time. Um, but I'm also just a person that doesn't like to do stuff in the wintertime. So um, and I, I, I agree, Peyton, I kind of what you're saying, like, maybe I would feel differently if I was personally involved in it. But I'm just thinking of this as an event. Like if this was a 16 day long music festival, say if it was something more in my wheelhouse, I would be like, absolutely not. No. None of this, like ga- just gathering people together that many times. You know, it's <clears throat> it's one thing to go to a concert. It's another thing to be repeatedly exposed to people for 16 days in a row. It just seems like this is going to maybe be a problem for our hospitals. I don't know. So I hear you that like there's a lot of investment in this, right? Uh, and that's kind of been the argument all along with COVID is the economics of it. But I'm just thinking of the human part of this Mm -hmm. what about folks coming from rural areas who maybe when they go back to their wherever they're from they don't have the same kind of healthcare services or the same access or maybe their hospitals are already overloaded I don't know it's just like the way the variant is surging right now it just seems like a really bad idea to get people together for two weeks straight all day Peyton what about you what's your relationship to the stock show because you seem a little bit less fired up wondering if that's because you have a soft spot for it no, I mean, I to be completely clear, I, I absolutely think that we should be making responsible decisions when it comes to having large um, gatherings. I mean, as somebody who's trying to plan a wedding for this month, like I know very, very well, like the risks that are coming with that and how hard it is. And that's for my friggin' wedding. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's hard. It's hard. I, I, I have a fond fond memories of the stock show where I grew up out east um it was a big thing it was a really really big thing we went a lot um all of my friends were 4-H'ers um I would go and I'd watch my friends show their pigs and show their horses and um it was a really big part of the culture where I grew up and so um I mean I I have very fond memories of the stock show it I think it's a it's a culture thing but yeah I mean I'm not saying that that's any kind of excuse to let up on social responsibilities when it comes to this COVID. We all need to be doing our part. Um, but I kind of wonder if it's just like, I don't know. I'm, I'm just really curious about why they made the decision to have people to, to not require vaccinations. I wonder if it was because they thought people wouldn't show up or if they just thought the politics of it would get too messy and it would be too much bad press. I don't, I don't really know. That's the level of it that I'm interested in. Like, Where I'm at is I totally understand why the organizers of the stock show are doing this. Like this is not, this is not a cultural event. This is not a tourism event, although it has that component to it, 
But I've been talking to some people from over the, at this organization, and I've been like doing some research into what this thing has been and is. And I went a couple of years ago, and I I went, like went to a rodeo. I saw the kids do the mutton busting, but that part all felt like uh, a layer on top of the very real like trading of agricultural goods and services. Like it really did feel like and like look like to me. I mean, I don't know what I'm doing or talking about, but it looked to me like. People were actually making a lot of money, and I bet for a rancher or a farmer in rural Colorado, in rural Colorado, oh my gosh, so many L's and R's in that phrase. Good luck if anyone else wants to try that one. Um, but I think for these people, it's like a seriously important event for the year. And having missed the last one, like I can imagine a lot of these people really need this. And so, I don't know. That's that's where I see like from their side, from the city of Denver. Like, don't, shouldn't our Denver leaders care about the people of Denver first more than this rural community? Like, yeah, I mean, it's a state, but, you know. I think you're making a great point, Paul, but I'm just looking at other industries, right, that re- rely on large group gatherings to get things done. And again, uh, to try to sort of compare it to something, most of my friends in the music industry have lost all of their income. They don't tour anymore. They can't play shows anymore. I mean, this is bigger than just the stock show. So I hear you and see totally. why economically this is like devastating to a lot of communities. This is just like everything else that we're losing. And I just wonder when public safety is going to become more important than the economics or like how we can we – can, um, support these people because I don't want that. You know what I mean? I don't want this to have devastating economic impacts on our rural communities. That's the the last thing I want. But like you're saying too, yeah. like they're coming into Denver. <laughs> yeah. What What is the vaccination that's, that's, status? That's why of the these? variance is so upsetting to me is because yeah. like this is guests, guests in our city. Like these are going to be our hospitals that are overflowing first, I think. That's like, why would... Why would our officials grant a variance for this rule that we've decided is the best for our city? I don't understand that at all. Well, I want to go back to something you said, Paul, because you were just like, this is a really big thing for rural Colorado, but it's the National Western Stock Show. How dare you do that on your first try? (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Had to show off. Um, But no, I mean, this is this is a national thing. And so it's like it's not even just Coloradans. It's it's people from all over the country come for this stock show for this for this economic reason. Like you said, Paul, like it is a good place to to trade and do business. And like uh, the only time that I've been to the stock show, um, surprisingly, even though I grew up in Colorado, but like we weren't driving up from Colorado Springs to go to the stock show in Denver. Um, The only time I've been was to cover it as a reporter. And when I was there, I was interviewing a lot of like vendors and stuff. And and they were all talking about how like, yeah, people plan their whole months of January around this. Like they come from so far. So I do hear you about like, this is like we do need to prioritize public safety, but I do think the economic impact is is a is a fair claim. Like it's and it's not just Colorado. Like this is this is this potentially has a national impact on agriculture. Yeah. And then, even you know, a, a point on the culture side, too, like why this is important to our history and our state and like who we are. I was reading in the Colorado Encyclopedia, a great website that was, <laughs> I think, created by, led by, past CityCast Denver guest William Way, one of our greatest historians. 
But there's an entry for the very first stock show. And this thing, like the reason why it happened is because the city was so devastated by the silver crash of 1893. So the city officials saw this like trade show, which was like the, a very popular type of business development technique at the time as a way of kickstarting this new industry for Denver, agriculture and uh, food processing and distribution facilities. Like that's a hundred years of this being a part of who we are. That's huge. That's most of the time Denver's been a city. My dad grew up um, working the stock show, working at the stock show every season it came around and then we would go and he always says that the, sm <laughs> the smell of like leather and manure always is very nostalgic for him because it takes him <laughs> back to that when he would Aww. work him. And um, likewise, that's the same for me. Like I kind of don't get grossed out when I smell manure and, and like leather because it just makes me huh. think of the stock show. And I think when you grow up out east, <laughs> like where I did, it's like a very normal <laughs> thing to like be smelling all the mm. time. And like I'd go over to my friends' houses and they had horses and pigs and it was just... Um, just kind of funny. Just kind of funny. Wow. Mm. I love that. What did your dad do at the stock show? He was just like, it's, he didn't, we didn't do anything with like livestock or anything growing up, but he was just like a teenager. And I think he just, uh, I don't really know. I think he ran maybe some of the stands. He might've been mucking hay. I don't really know what he did, but. <laughs> mucking hay. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I just want to say one more thing about this like variance that the National Western Stock Show got from the city. Um, because you can actually, the, the letter that approves their variance is available online. Um, and there's one line in this approval from CDPHE, that's the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. And it says this approval is granted based on the facts and circumstances today as described in the request. Now, I emailed the stock show to see if I could get a copy of the request and to get a little bit more information on what the facts and circumstances were that they described. Um, did not get a reply as of this recording. But uh, I'm very perplexed as to how we get mm. variances for ordinances for public health. Like, what's the point of an ordinance for public health if well, you can just apply for a variance to not? The reasoning. Like, do by they it. have yeah. standards? Like, are there? Are what do you measure? Are, are some it people against? lesser than? So it's fine if they're exposed. Like, what is the? I just ugh, this just feels so wrong. I know. Well, yeah. okay, and then. Um, uh, at the beginning of this topic, I mentioned that they were like they said that they were going to lightly monitor mask use. The like stock show leader said that, and I got that from a nine news story because um, apparently a Denver public health leader came out after they said that and was peeved and upset that they were like being so blasé about like, yeah, we're just going to lightly monitor the mask use, and and the public health leader was like. This is not what we agreed to when we gave you this variance and said you really? could go forward with the stock show. So it seemed like they were maybe not. I, I don't know what they promised in this request or the reasons that they gave in this request. But it seems huh. like the Denver, the, some some city officials are doing an about face with the stock show and being like, uh, maybe this is not as great. Well, idea. and when we think <laughs> about who would be enforcing that, right, we're talking about hourly wage workers in charge of <sighs> trying to tell someone who may have a very strong opinion about wearing a mask to wear a mask. Like, I'm thinking about early on in the pandemic when I watched this man walking around the grocery store with his mask off and like five people started screaming at him. 
Oh and it became God. this screaming match between strangers. And Jeez. it's very tense. So if you're a person that's checking hundreds of people a day into the stock show and your job is to say, please wear a mask, like you might, your personal safety might be something that's at risk, right? And I want to think about those people too, because that sucks. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. Next topic. We're talking about the movie Don't Look Up. Maybe you've heard about it. It came out uh, like a week before Christmas, blew up on the Internet. It's Netflix's like number one film right now. And uh, it was made by some Coloradans. Um, David Sirota, journalist David Sirota. He lives in Denver. We've had him on the show before. he loves bagels. He does love bagels. He was our biggest bagel fan of the year. Um, And then uh, the director, Adam McKay, who's done uh, like... A million things. Anchorman, Vice, The Big Short. Um, apparently, he lived in Denver briefly in his youth. I didn't know that, but I guess we can claim him now, too. Um, anyways, Don't Look Up is this... <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. It's. I mean, it's, it's, about, it's about climate change. It's a climate change movie. Social it's, commentary. It's a satirical comedy that is just one giant... So it's social commentary on climate change and how... We're dealing with it, right? And it stressed me the hell out. So, you know, obviously it worked on me. I mean, that's that's the mission of this movie. It's, 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 to, it's to be in the audience's face. It's to be like, to shake them awake and be like, we need to do something now. Um, it stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Meryl Streep, Jonah Hill, Timothy Chalamet, Kate uh, Blanchett. I mean, it's just like huge, huge freaking cast. And um, can I be a mom for a minute and ask you who Timothy Chalamet played? Because I didn't oh he you missed little, him he played yule yeah he's yeah. the boyfriend at the oh end. the little anarcho boy yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. falls in love with oh cute yeah he's yeah he's cute. a hunk of, well one of the hunks <laughs> of this movie <laughs> oh paul isn't that i mean that's the best part right is leonardo dicaprio is like halfway through the movie revealed as a secret hunk like right like we didn't know celebrity he's like he's like the the like weird nerdy girl who like takes off his glasses halfway through the movie and like <laughs> yeah. she's beautiful it's like, yeah oh my god it's leonardo dicaprio obviously, <laughs> the sweaty weird professor guy obviously he's a hunk yeah um yeah tim that's who Tal- timothy chalamet played but um I guess before we jump into the conversation, I just want to say, like, the plot is that there's this comet coming towards Earth. And we have the, these scientists have discovered this comet hurtling towards Earth. They, we have six months to six months to do something about it. And I'm sure you can guess what happens next. No one listens to them. No one wants to do anything about the comet. Um, I'm just going to say up front, 
that like there there will probably be spoilers in this conversation. So if you haven't seen the movie and you don't want it spoiled for you, turn, turn the off episode. This conversation. Yeah, return later after you've return return to this episode after you've watched it. There you go. So um, who wants to go first? I'm gonna yeah. I'm just gonna toss it out there. I I so I watched it last night ahead of this. Uh, so I was super fresh for this conversation, Good. and afterwards. I had so many thoughts in my head. I have two full pages of notes that, wow. <laughs> that I wrote because I just, I was like, I need to get all of these thoughts down and organized in some way. And honestly, my thoughts on the movie could probably be a podcast of its own. So I won't <laughs> go, I won't go super far into it. Um, but I will say that I thought it was great. I thought it was incredible and I really, really liked it. And I think everyone should watch it. What did, did you like about it, yeah. Peyton? So I'll start with, at first, I didn't think I liked it. For the first 30 minutes, I was like, I don't know if I like this. Um, because satirical comedy is not usually my cup of tea. And I felt like it was a little bit stiff and the comedy was a little try hard. But once the parallels to climate change became really, really pointed, I began really enjoying the metaphor. And then from that point on for the rest of the movie, I just thought it was just, I don't know. I just thought it made such a good Point. I, I thought it was a really unique way to tell people like, hey, climate change is real and we're not fucking doing anything about it. And I think that people need to watch it. I, I, I thought it was I thought it was brilliant. Hmm. What did you guys think? I w agree 100 percent. I watched it twice. twice, but also at the same time, I kind of think it's like useless. So I was thinking like what is this movie doing? Like it's riling me up. Like I love it. I agree with it. Like I can't imagine anyone's watching this and like disagreeing with it, like disagreeing with it or like sticking with it. Like and you put it on a streaming service like this. There's no reason for anyone who doesn't agree with it to watch it. So if they want to have a positive impact, I just question like, I don't know, I guess, you know, whatever you're good at, you have to like use that to try to make the change you want to see in the world. And these people are like incredible filmmakers. <sighs> and it is such a genius metaphor. It was, I loved it. And I have a similar pages of notes, Peyton. Um, <laughs> I want to hear more of yours. Um, but it was like, why, why? Like it was when DiCaprio gives that big speech, that big rant that was so reminiscent of Peter Finch's famous rant in network but the way that like when it gets to that i can't imagine anyone who's like yeah climate change is like not that important to me not my biggest priority they're gonna get to that and they're gonna think eh, he's angry you know whatever and then it's just part of the same f montage of news clips of people angry at each other that the mo movie itself is skewering it was like kind of a self-defeating message though an extremely entertaining piece of filmmaking in my opinion i i did have a similar concern so i i thought it was it was brilliantly done um i loved it my biggest concern is that the people who need to hear the message aren't going to take the message away and or not watch the movie yeah i mean it scared the crap out of me someone who's very concerned about climate change but that's because i'm already concerned about climate change the people who don't you know, and, and they kind of poke fun at the, you know, quote unquote, comet deniers, the climate change deniers. And it's like they're not going to learn anything from this. But I don't know. Maybe yeah. it'll change. Maybe it'll change some minds. This is an interesting point, because obviously we have seen 
a ton of arguing online over this movie. Like, this movie has sparked a shit ton of controversy. So I, I, I hear you, like, it, the people who disagree with the movie are probably not watching it or at least sticking with it, but they're still getting really angry and defensive about it. And I almost wonder if, like, that was the filmmaker's goal is just to, like, spark that debate online and get people really riled up so that people... But again, I don't... So that it's really visible and in the public's face. Yeah. Can you talk a, just really quickly a little bit about the controversy that's coming up? I mean, what exactly are people so angry about? Well, okay. I mean, I think one one thing that's very reflective of the controversy is that uh, this movie got like 56% on Rotten Tomatoes, which like look, Rotten Tomatoes scales are not like the thing we should live and die by. But like, it is interesting that like critics were so divided by this movie, even though like like Paul was saying, like, it's a well done film. These are these are filmmakers who know what they're doing. It was well acted. Like, I don't think it's there fresh, was exciting everything. Yeah, I don't think that there was anything wrong with the film, but it's just like people were having problems with the message and the way and the way the message was delivered, because some people thought it was way too heavy handed. It was like screaming in audiences faces. But that's I think that's the controversy, Peyton, is just like people are very divided on how whether or not movies are the right way to do this. That's fascinating. That that kind of blows my mind. I don't I don't understand how anyone could have a problem with this. I would be so interested to have a conversation with somebody who doesn't feel like that message. I think they just don't care. I think people just don't care about the topic. Like I, I when we were talking about this like online controversy, I was like, well, who you know who who actually pays attention and then i went and i did some like i did some digging into um like conservative leaning social media sites and some of like conservative leaders of colorado to try to see if anyone like anyone was talking about the marshall fire from last week in the context of this like of climate change if any of those communities were seeing this thing that like is obviously connected to climate change and like, are they putting it in that context? Are they making that connection? And no one was, no one was like barely anyone was talking about it at all, but no one was mentioning it. People were in Lo Lauren Boebert's replies, but she wasn't addressing it. I couldn't even find anything like a single post on Parler, which maybe says more about the quality of that app design, but I couldn't this, find anything. This to me proves Peyton's point, which was my issue with it, which is the left is really bad at um, addressing our own issues. And I felt like as a person that exists in very pretty far left circles online, we're in our own silos every day. So of course my silo was talking about this movie. My silo is a bunch of other media dweebs who are obsessed with how we don't do things right. You know, like that that was like the yeah. effective thing about the movie to me was just showing how we take information and we turn it into a meme. Like 4chan has taken mm. over how we do news, right? Like when she gets turned into a meme and people start recognizing her um, when she's like working at that liquor store or whatever. Yeah. And like, oh, look, at it's the girl from whatever. I was like, whoa, that's real. And that is what we do. And <clears throat> my frustration with the movie is um, who, like Peyton was saying, who's it really speaking to? Because it automatically just goes after 
the people that are supposedly the problem, right? Mm-hmm. The, the don't look up the people, the people that won't look up. They're obviously the metaphor was like, these are the Trump supporters. These are the climate deniers. Well, they're not watching this movie. We're not going to reach them. So it's like piling on to things that the far left already well i would just say the left like just the pretty general hashtag resist left is thinking about because the far left thought this movie was fucking stupid and didn't go far enough and maybe that's the the thing that we need to take from it as the people that it's actually talking to already which is um we allow for the monetization of all kinds of things instead of fixing problems all the time that's kind of what was so striking to me about this movie was like oh, we have a problem. This comet is hurling towards Earth. Let's monetize it before we die. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's totally our problem. Mm-hmm. So how do we take that and do something with it? How do we change that? How do we stop this like memification of information and get serious about issues and try to work together? Alexandra, you know? I think, did make well, a good point, though, about it is at least starting those conversations um, it's getting yeah. uh, our side riled up enough to to start having these conversations. You know, not that we weren't already doing that, but we're we're doing a show on. I mean, here we are talking about it. Oh, yeah. and I will say, when the credits rolled, I had this big existential crisis, being like, we are not covering climate change enough on Citycast. Like, we need to be doing, we need to be covering it way more because I like, you know, obviously they they really skewered the media in that movie of like, you know downplaying climate change and you know taking a, a subtle approach to it and it's just like making it pleasant making yeah. it pleasant and i'm like oh my god like i know that That's we're not happens. we're not that bad but like we we are contributing to the problem if we don't do enough stories about it if we don't cover it enough and show people like this is a priority but it's hard because we have like five million other catastrophes that we have to cover in this day and age all the time well, I would like to hear I I would like to hear from the listeners on this. I want to hear what people want to hear. Like I want to pass this conversation on to others. Like what what do you want to hear about climate change? Is there something that you feel like like would be useful or some way that you think might be a good way to get involved that we could go check it out? Like that's the kind of thing we could do, I think. We can talk to people about operative programs and like advocacy campaigns and I don't know. Whatever people want to know, I, I I would love to to make that a project for us this year. It was like figure out the best way to actually organize people, even if that's the right thing, and and make a difference on that because it would be nice to do. Yeah, solutions. That was like my one um, yeah. problem with the movie, and you know maybe the the movie wouldn't have had such a big impact if it had a d- different ending. But I was frustrated that there was like there were no solutions really presented. Um, at least that would apply to our situation. Mm. I mean, obviously in the movie they had solutions to like take out the comet, but like, <laughs> I'm like, what are we, what are we like telling people when like the world just ends and it's just so bleak and depressing and all the like I think it's one supposed percenters. to be, it's supposed to be a cautionary tale, right? Yeah. It's, they're trying to say, hey, we have, we still have our six months, kinda, and we can do something about it. Yeah. If, if you all just listen. I, I think that's what they're saying. And I think the yeah. comet had to destroy the planet at the end of the movie because if not, what was it about? It, it couldn't have ended any other way because they're like, hey, the movie is like, this is where we're headed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and this is how it will end. And I, 
Maybe maybe I'll make it a newsletter if anyone's interested in that. But I've got like seven subcategories of how I broke this <laughs> I think movie you should down. publish it raw. I think you should publish Just... the notes raw. No editing. <laughs> I mean. As its own newsletter. I, I would happily do that. I mean, it's basically a movie review here. It's. I, I would love to, nice. to hear from That's Monday, people. I think it's Monday's newsletter. I think people would love that. Mm-hmm. I Yeah, I, I'd be interested in it. And I, I do want to say, though, I also kind of felt like you could draw parallels to not just climate change with this movie, but COVID. Oh, um, 100%. All the discussion about peer-reviewed science and how we're downplaying mm. COVID and how... Um, yeah. I, I thought it was absolutely... You could, you could make all the same parallels that you make with climate change to the way we're dealing with COVID as well. Hmm. That's, yep. a great yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, Tune in to Monday's newsletter for more. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> Can't wait. All right. One last thing before we wrap up. We want to share some reader comments. Bree, what do you got for okay. us? So uh, earlier this week in the newsletter, I wrote about the demise of the Breakfast King, which was a one of the one of the diners we've seen fall in Denver and close in the last couple of years. Um, also apparently Swift's on Santa Fe may also be closed as well. But, um, uh, so I wrote about its demise and how sad I was that we have been losing all these diners and, uh, a really, I got a really nice note from a newsletter reader named Todd who wanted to share some memories of the breakfast King that he had. And he talks about Blinky the clown, which I'll read in just a minute. And I just wanted to say, if you don't know who Blinky the clown was, Paul, I know you kind of asked me who he was. He was a TV clown when local TV stations used to have their own productions. And he had a morning show. And when I was a kid in the eighties, um, if you could get on Blinky's fun club and be in his birthday corner, it was like the biggest deal in the world because you got to be on TV and then play, and then Blinky the Clown sang his bizarre birthday song to you. So, um, but he also owned an antique shop on like South South Broadway, which oh. I believe is now where Fashionation is, was where Blinky's was. Uh, Todd shared with me that uh, Russell Scott, a.k.a. Blinky the Clown, had his little antique shop up next to Herman's Hideaway and he'd eat at the King all the time. Blinky lived by us when we were kids, and my brother was on the show and in the birthday club. We still sing the Blinky birthday song version. Happy birthday to you. Better smile. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear chill. I've been happy birthday to you, and I certainly hope you have a nice Anyways, birthday. leaving the king one time, we left uh, $20 with the cashier and told her to treat Blinky. In Grand King style, it was just another something to be taken in stride. The king is dead. Long live the king. Aww. So, Aww. thanks, Todd. Thanks for thanks for throwing a meal Blinky's way. I think he probably appreciated it. Yeah, very sweet. All right, uh, Paul, you want to close us up? Yeah. Well, we talked briefly about um, using using your platform to make a difference, and uh, we got an email this week about a local musician who is doing just that. David Lawrence and The Spoonful have a new album coming out soon, and uh, they have a single and a video that they were telling us about. Uh, It's a song called Seeds We Sow, and apparently it was inspired by an experience the lead singer-songwriter David Lawrence had with a wildfire back in 2019. Um, And so it's this personal reflection about living in Colorado and encountering wildfires and learning to live with that as a part of your life. Um, so maybe we'll hear just a just a piece of that as we go out to the credits. The smoke is so thick that you can't hardly see everything that's gonna come, everything that's gonna be. 
is like a tree. Everything never burns comes back. You'll see. The seeds we sowed died yesterday. Guess things don't really work that way. Well, that's all for today here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were Paul Caroli, Lizzie Goldsmith, and me, Alexandra McMahon. Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter. Bree Davies is our host. Our music is by Los Mochachetes with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren, plus more from the Epidemic Sound Library. And you just heard a little snippet of that new song by David Lawrence and The Spoonful called Seeds We Sow. And we'll have a link to learn more in our show notes. If you haven't already, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at CityCast Denver and tell a friend about us the next time you see them. But be safe about it. COVID safe. You can sign up for our daily newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. All right. This was fun. See you all next week. Good work, guys. Awesome. Bye. Bye. Bye.